0: Hello and welcome to another special edition episode of Black Woman Voices. I'm one of the hosts, Anne-Marie Edwards, and I am currently pursuing a doctorate in educational psychology. I wanted to explore an innovative approach with my dissertation. So about a year ago, I asked my sister host if I could record special episodes for the Black Woman Voices podcast that would be included in my dissertation. If you missed episode one of the series, I would encourage you to go back and listen. In that episode, I give a more robust explanation of the premise behind the special series. The theme for this conversation is lifespan perspective. Over the course of our lifetimes, black women get to a point where we where we figure it out or figure out that we need to at least figure it out. Hopefully one day we will be able to decide our own narratives instead of having to decipher them through all the messages society tells us about ourselves. This is the final episode in the series. For this episode, I wanted to have a conversation with black women who are further along in life. This episode features Michelle, Adrienne, Adrian, and Angie. We had a rich conversation and I must say, stay tuned. That conversation is next. Mm-hmm. All right, so if you wanna introduce yourselves, that would be great. I'll start. Good afternoon, I'm Michelle A. Smith. I am fortunate
1: enough to get to know Anne because we were in this doctoral program together. I finished recently, and you are about to cross the line soon. I am currently full-time Vice President for Workforce Solutions at a community college and born and bred Chicagoland area, and happy to be here
2: today. My name is Adrienne Leroy. I am a member of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. So that's how I got to know Anne through Michelet. And I was born and raised in Chicago, South Side, but I was born on the West Side. And I'm now two grown children and kind of trying to figure out the rest of what the next chapter in my life looks like.
3: Hello, my name is Angie Bird. Angie Jordan Bird. I also met Anne as a member of Delta Sigma Theta and Via Michele. <laughs> um, born and raised in Maywood, Illinois. And I am currently an associate regional minister for communications with the Christian Church. But prior to that, I spent about over 20 years in advertising and marketing, both on the client side and at the agency side. I um, have the mother of three and like Adrian, still trying to figure out then what this next chapter of my life is going to look like as well.
0: Well, thank you for joining me today. And I, I think it's going to be a good conversation because if our pre-conversation is anything like that, then I think it's going to be great. And I just want to just thank Michelle for putting it on the record that um, I'm going to cross the finish line. She has already spoke these things and I'm just over here recording podcasts. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> so if you can start out by kind of sharing some of your early educational experiences with us and what was that like? K through 12 wise, that you can remember.
2: Well, I'll start. K through 12. I, I've uh, attended Catholic school all my life,
3: mm. from
2: uh, all the way undergrad, was also Catholic school. So, head start through uh, undergrad. Uh, we were there um, because My grandmother, I think, mostly thought it was a better education for us in Chicago. Um, And um, my grandmother, I lived with my grandma. My my mother is alive, but I was raised by my grandmother. um, And she's the one who uh, always stressed education. So she thought it was a better education for us to go to Catholic school um so and we we did what she told us to
0: okay she she ran that show okay
2: understood so and it was. have to be in charge yeah (laughs) (laughs) so it was me and um I have a younger brother and younger sister so all three of us went to Catholic school I attended college and they did not so I think that's that it Yes. it. <laughs> okay. So some of my early
3: education experiences have been um, grown up in Maywood. I attended Irving School and Proviso East High School. My dad was on the school board for all my years of education, elementary and through high school. So we were in the public school arena. And so if I was to think about some specific experience, I think overall, what I would mention is that the teachers that we had more specifically in my grade school, I felt like our, some of my teachers were just extended caregivers, meaning that mm-hmm. they weren't just there to teach us math or, you know, science and social studies. They took the time to really try to develop us and nurture us as black kids, mm-hmm. Um you know we had one particular that i'll talk about her name is miss ivory i love social studies because of her because she wasn't doing just what was in the book she was showing us our black history and making us memorize um poems by black poets you know the things as a kid you're like oh i gotta remember this but it really you know, when you look back, it's what gave us the foundation. There was a overall caring for us that, um, and when I say us, I I mean, us black kids, they, you know, they was calling home, talking to, you know, the parents, if you are the lie, it's just that they, to me, I think that they had a level of care and nurturing that really, really made a difference as I started off in my in my journey or educational career.
0: Angie, out of
1: the night that covers me, black as a pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods there be for my unconquerable soul that is invictus by, I forget who the author is, but I went to the same William something, I went to the same grade school as Angie and she's right, we did, we had to memorize these poems, we had from it was a K through eight school. So from kindergarten to eighth grade, I can probably count on one hand, the number of teachers and administrators I had that were not black. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: My second grade teacher, my sixth grade teacher, my assistant principal, Mm -hmm. everybody else who taught me K through eight was black. And so I don't even remember necessarily saying the pledge of allegiance, but I remember singing, uh, lift every voice and sing all the stanzas. I remember when i got to college this concept that all the textbooks didn't speak to me was uh, was foreign even in high school it was foreign because k through 12 they k through 8 they did speak to me i later found out that many of those instructors were divine nine these were ak's and deltas teaching us didn't know that didn't understand that at the time but angie's right that my k through 8 experience was really it was natural to know about famous black people it was part of the curriculum period in the discussion and these teachers lived in our communities so it was not uncommon that two doors down was your sixth grade teacher so you can only do so much nonsense because your teacher was your neighbor <laughs> yeah. and your mama was gonna find out so you can do it yourself or you can let them tell you and then angie said her dad was on the board her dad also had been the truant officer so like she lived around the corner everybody knew the jordans everybody knew that family everybody knew mr jordan that that was the nature of, of Maywood, the town that we grew up in. I did not realize till right this moment, or maybe I forgot because I'm older that Adrian went to Head Start. Because I also went to Head Start. December one was the deadline to be five to go to kindergarten. And I'm a December 20th baby, so I couldn't go. Mm-hmm. So I also remember growing up always being the oldest in my class, often the oldest fourth grader, fifth grader, whatever, because I was a December baby. When when I first when you first said this question, it made me think of three things. One, it made me think of Head Start. What I remember about Head Start is the bus would let me off on the corner furthest from my grandmother's house because I was raised by my grandmother. And there was a little boy, Angie will recognize when I say his name, Bino, who used to bully me. So I get off the bus and I have to walk past his house to get to my grandmother's house. And I remember every day getting off the bus being like it was traumatic. Like I gotta try to get home before he sees me. And then one day, this older kid who was a crossing guard who I actually saw a few weeks ago, I promise you, in my four-year-old mind, he felt like my hero because he was on his way to do crossing guard duty so he has a little orange seatbelt on. And Bino's you know, trying to take him <laughs> out, of- <laughs> yeah, out of this. It felt like Superman. He was like, Bino, let her go. It was Keith Robinson. And to this day, I didn't see Keith for 20, 30 years. And then I ran into him and I was like, did you know that you're my hero? And he was like, what? And it was that he was willing at seven years old to take on this bully for me. That's something that really sits in my mind, and I tend to be like I hate bullies, and I will stand up to a bully. And my mother be like, "You gonna get beat down? You better mind your own business." But to this day, I'm like, there is injustice over there. Someone must address it, and I'm convinced that it was because Ethan to saved me that day. I'm just, saying. um, and I do. I have fond memories of my teachers K through eight. Then the other big thing that sticks out for me is in sixth grade, we got computers. It was a big deal. Like, now you hear, it sounds so crazy, but I'm like sixth grade, I'm getting a computer because these kids are coming out the womb with them now. But that was a big deal. And there's literally a, a newspaper article and it's me and another classmate. You can just see the back of us and they got our name printed. And there, it's a big deal that Urban Elementary School got computers. I remember that. And that was the nature, I think, of my K through eight experiences that I didn't always realize So later. I had a lot of really formative, great experiences that helped me to look at
0: education the way I do today and look at learning the way I do today. So Adrian, I do have a question because you were the only one that was like, we did Catholic education. You know, how how did those educational experience or that educational experience help shape your identity? Like I hear that, you know, others have learned so much about who, who they were, but I've heard that that there's a uniqueness in Chicago Catholic education.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, It, it, I I think it, uh, I agree. I think it is. Uh, One, I did not say that I did go to Catholic school and all the Catholic schools were all black or predominantly black. Okay. All of them. So we also had, we had nuns and then we also had black teachers, black Mm -hmm. lay teachers. And we also in eighth grade, my eighth grade teacher was a black nun, so uh, Sister Jannie V. A. and she lived in a house with uh, two two white nuns and another black nun. So at that school, we had we had two black nuns at that school. So that was also just an interesting dynamic. So yeah, all the high uh, even in high school was predominantly uh african american and all from head start all the way so that uniqueness that having all these uh uh black parents uh black teachers mm-hmm. black students and i don't uh maybe 50% of the 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 students were maybe uh, catholic but we became catholic because it was economically feasible, it's better, we got lower tuition. So that's how I, in seventh grade, I think, I uh, was baptized Catholic because then we could get lower tuition. It wasn't, because in the summer, when I went to visit my grandmother in the summer, I was Baptist. (laughs) So, well, I, you was
0: Baptist all summer and then like in the fall and the spring, you were Catholic.
2: <laughs> wow. Because <laughs> my grandmother in, uh, in North Carolina wasn't hearing about Catholic, wasn't trying to take me to any Catholic services. This is what we do in this house. So this is what, whatever. So I, I kind of grew up very mm, all over the place with uh, Catholicism and uh, religion and how it's supposed to look so yeah it was our teachers didn't did not live in my neighborhood because for some reason I never lived I think again it was my grandmother again trying uh for lack of a better term she did want everybody in her business so we did not go to the catholic school in our neighborhood mm-hmm. We went to a Catholic school outside our neighborhood. So we had to take the CTA bus a mile, I think it was a mile, to another Catholic school because the Catholic school in my neighborhood was St. Sabina and oh. everybody who did go to Catholic school in my neighborhood went to St. Sabina and my grandmother didn't want that. She didn't want people in her business. However, that's what's supposed to look. So we did not go to St. Sabina and Father Flager and all that. We did not go there. We went outside um, of our neighborhood. So I went to, we lived um, on 79th in Aberdeen and I went to school on 87th in Aberdeen.
0: I oh, have family that lived over there, but we'll talk about that afterwards. <laughs> but what I will say is this, you know, I want to put a pin in that and okay. that thought sure. that I don't want everybody in my business mm-hmm. uh, because yes. that is the superhero of the <laughs> Black family, <laughs> um, uh, literally. So, but I do want to ask like, you know, because when we talk about education, we are so, we, we talk about the education that we get within a classroom, but I'm curious as to who are some of the most influential people in your life in and out of the classroom like who were just those people that are most influential that you can identify in your life anybody don't matter
1: so three people come to mind for me my grandmother my mother and Angie will recognize recognizes name miss georgia edwards who was my eighth grade teacher and i do those backwards miss edwards because she was my eighth grade teacher and at the end of the at the end of each grade you would meet your teacher for the next year so in the seventh grade I meet my teacher for eighth grade and then you go on summer break and then you come back and that's your teacher and I remember leaving her classroom and she was like come in for a second and she gives me this book and she said I need you to read this book this summer and I remember I was like you on crack it's summer break I ain't read no book I ain't read no I don't know who you think you are but I'm not gonna read this book I don't know what happened I took the book from her and I took it home and I was like yeah whatever with your book Two days later, I pick up the book, I read it, and it was transformative for me. The book was Native Son by Richard Wright. It remains my favorite book to this day. I've never asked Ms. Edwards why she pulled me out and why she gave me that book, but it changed everything in terms of how I looked at reading, myself as a Black person, race in this country. It changed a lot of stuff. So. Yeah, that's one of those. I probably need to share that story with her because I've never, I never have. My grandmother, because she never worked, she raised children. She had third grade education, but I don't think I ever knew that growing up because she was smart. She was very spiritual. She taught me about God. And when she died of ovarian cancer, probably 17 years ago, she faced, she faced death so bravely that I hope I can be that brave when it's my time Mm. I said mama are you scared because they said she had five weeks she said no I'm not scared she said you know if 73 years is all God gave me then that means that my life is done he knew how many days he was giving me when he sent me here and I was like wow that's amazing I was with her that day and I remember watching her go through the phases I was with her that whole day so I was one of the last voices she heard And she couldn't talk anymore, but she could grab my hand and, you know, move a little bit. And I just, I treasured that. I saw that little moment. And then my mother, who, if you never met her before, you wouldn't know this, but she grew up in an abusive, we grew up in an abusive household. The Tina Turner Turner movie, What's Love Got to Do With It? I feel like it's very autobiographical. And there's a scene in that movie where the boys are standing in the doorway and, and Ike, pulls Tina through the hallway and he goes, go somewhere. Me and your mama, we just talked. That scene is very common to me growing up. But when I look at that woman today, she made a decision that she's going to stay in that marriage until her baby turned 18. And that's what she did. And when her youngest turned 18, she left that marriage. And who she is today, you wouldn't know that's where she came from. So she's taught me great strength. Wow. Wow! I knew I was supposed to bring my Kleenex in this room.
0: <laughs> Just your use hair. your sweater. Just use your shirt. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> Angelique Adrian.
2: Okay, I'll I'll go. So my grandmother again, <laughs> because my dad died when I was two, and my mother, my mother got married when she was uh, nineteen. I was born when she was 20 and she was a widow when she was 22. And so she needed help. And so, uh, and I think I'm told that on his deathbed, he asked my grandmother to take care of me. So that was her. She didn't want to disappoint a dying man. So I went to live with my grandmother and she got to 12th grade and had to leave school to take care of her brothers. She's one of eight and she had to take care of brothers and regretted that mm-hmm. um, for the rest of her life. So her mantra to me always was education, get an education, get an education, get an education. So much so that I did not question I went to the college that I went to in Minnesota because my mother, my grandmother uh, cleaned white people's homes for a living. And there was a a woman that she cleaned the house for who uh, ran an advertising agency and who uh, became really interested in my grandmother and her family. So I have a brother and sister my mother remarried and I have a brother and sister. So uh, she was concerned with our education. And so she told my grandmother that she thought that I should go to the College of St. Catherine in St. Paul, Minnesota. I had not heard of that place, but being a obedient child that I was uh, because uh, I, I have this thing, still have this thing that I didn't want I was gonna do anything she asked me to do because she took me in and took care of me. So let me be the best person because I don't wanna be given away anymore, right? That was yeah. my thing. So uh, they had decided that, and I had applied, I think I applied to Boston University or whatever, but they thought I should go to whatever. And my grandmother thought that these, Uh, white folks knew what they were talking about because they were rich. And so that's how I ended up in the College of St. Catherine in St. Paul, Minnesota.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I was about to ask, I know St.
2: Paul. Yeah, okay. So, and I'm older than these two. So it was, I started uh, college in September, 1980 in St. Paul, Minnesota, before there was even a basketball team. In Minnesota. So
0: wow. I just yeah. want to throw out that I was born in December of 1980. Don't worry are about you? that. Oh yeah. Oh, okay. okay. You know what?
2: All right. Oh, that's
1: fine. Are, you, okay.
3: are you in this call? <laughs> 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 I was like, oh my God. Okay,
2: yes, yes.
3: Young and yes. young. So it's Angie, I will go. Um, so most influential people, and I'm gonna sound like Michelle in a second, but were my my mother, my dad, so my parents, and then my godparents, who was Georgia Edwards and Mac Edwards. So I would say, in regards to my parents, I'm the youngest of 10. And like I said, my dad was very much in, you know, running for political office for the board of education, and my mom was a stay-at-home mom. So to me, you know, she she had she did probably I know my dad was a office officer too, too at the high school, but. I would say my mom was the CEO of a busy household. Like she did, well, you know, for the community, I would say that, right? Because mm-hmm. she was she was helping everybody and everybody's uh, uh, kids. We was just like, it was open doors. But the thing about my mom, so yeah, she was at home, but she really, you know, she was the Girl Scout leader. She was the 4-H leader, for, taking me to 4-H. I didn't even, and I I probably don't even remember what all the H's stand for, but Mm -hmm. yeah, she she thought it was important. She was taking me. Student council, again, her and my godmother, Georgia Edwards, taking us to student council conventions. Those are the type of things that they had us involved in. Again, trying to build that character and the things to give us um, just that strong foundation. And I mentioned, you know, my godparents, uh, Georgia Edwards, who made Michelle Reed Native Son, she too was very um, instrumental. Again, we didn't know. Well, I knew, but I didn't know. Like she was a member of Delta Sigma Theta, founded one of the founders for their Glenn Ellen Alumni Chapter. Well, you know, so I was at Delta events, doing you know, doing different things with the Deltas, but still just not really. You don't see all the big picture all the time. So you mm-hmm. you're doing things, but they just were very influential and my mom, you know, made sure that, you know, she had us going to church, you know, and I feel like they were very instrumental in my walk as a Christian. You know, they introduced me to God who, you know, would give me someone who would lead me now that they're no one, that they're no longer here.
2: Mm -hmm.
3: So I feel like they have passed on a lot that continues to help guide me
0: so i am okay so this is one of the main things this is one of the fun parts i feel like i i want you all to give me some of the lessons and those lessons can be words they can be stories they can be i i don't know if they're called tagline like just little sayings or idioms that you have learned throughout your life as black women
3: I I can share one right off because I just finished talking about my mom. My mom had breast cancer and that's what she passed from. And on her deathbed, she said to me, don't let anyone walk over you. I didn't realize that she was giving all of her kids like what she wanted them to carry. At the time I was 20 years old, I was in college. Mm -hmm. It didn't, it didn't really, I'm like, okay, you know, but once I got out of college and into the, you know, workforce and things like that, like that stays with me. And I think that having had those words, and I think in particularly, she knew as a black woman that it it wasn't an easy walk. Mm -hmm. So I think that she was purposeful in saying, don't let anyone walk over, because the, and that's just something it, it has so many legs to it and I can apply it in so many different ways because you know initially I didn't know how to apply it I'm thinking okay I'm short does she mean like don't let nobody walk over me you know like what does that mean but I've, I've come to to know and and understand in in the experiences that I have experienced I know exactly what she meant
0: wow and isn't that amazing you know how you can just hear the words and like hmm okay I know exactly and you said she gave
3: each kid what whatever they needed yes and and and, that, and that's a mother right you know your kids and I didn't know she was doing it until I was talking to my sister and I don't remember what she told her but you know she's carrying something. And so my mom knew, I guess that for me this is what you need. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it, it it's it's all about endurance and perseverance and fighting for yourself.
1: Mm-hmm. I just want to say that Angie's mother taught me how to scramble eggs really well, because no, see you laughing. I'm serious at heart attack. because I would watch this woman make breakfast for ten kids and a husband and neighborhood people like me, and she'd have a black cast iron skillet, and it was just. And she'd get the little, get all them, like a dozen and then some. She'd get them in that skillet, heat it up ever so nicely and take that nice little spatula, work her way around. They were the best scrambled eggs. And I remember watching her and being like, I'm going to make scrambled eggs like that. To this day, to this day, every time I scramble eggs, I think about Irma Jean. Every mm. single time. I scrambled eggs this morning. I thought about it. That's literally the guys truth.
0: I would um, like to taste those eggs, but that's yeah, I'm fine. just saying it was like that's real talk day. for real. <laughs> it's another day. It's
1: for real. There's a way to do it where it's fluffy. It's just a way. And they weren't scrambled hard. It was like I don't like when they scrambled hard. It, I was just like, that's impressive to make that much breakfast for. It was like an army. Every day this woman uh-huh. is feeding 10 plus whoever they brought home that night. Because I spent many a night with Auntie and her sister spending the night. Mama, I'm over to Jordan's. Can I stay? Miss Jordan said I could stay. Okay, let me talk to her. Okay, she said you could stay. I mean. No big deal, like pretty common. Um, Two things came to mind when you asked the question. One is my mother always said, similar to Adrian's grandmother, that education is the one thing people cannot take from me. Mm -hmm. So that was really important. Like they can take a lot of stuff, but they can't take that. So this idea of, you know, getting that alphabet soup, that alphabet soup, those letters behind my name signify the thing you cannot take from me. You might be able to take a lot of stuff, but you don't get to take my learning. And then the other thing is, my grandmother used to always say, and I didn't know it was biblical at the time. My grandmother did a, you know, as I as I grow in my faith, I know there's a lot of stuff that she said that I thought was just Lily Hickman saying stuff. But I come later to learn it's biblical. But she used to always say, "You have not because you ask not." Mm-hmm. She used to always she used to say that all the time. "You have not because you ask not," and I was like, "I'm scared." And she was like, "You have not because you ask not." And that's just something that's always stuck with me, especially when I'm afraid to ask for something. I can hear that in my head and it's like, muster up your courage, get in there. Cause you don't, the reason you don't have it is cause you didn't ask for it. And that is something that has always stuck with me. Matter of fact, I remember in high school, I was taking calculus my senior year and I was like, what is this? I'd always been a good student, math, pretty good. But calculus, I was like, this ain't math. This ain't right, this ain't right. And Mr. Calculus. Mr. Wako, you crazy. Mr. Waco was my calculus <laughs> teacher. And I remember hearing that my grandmother, you have not, because you have not. So I remember I went to him. I was like, Mr. Wako, I'm not getting it. I'm not catching on. Can you help me? He said, absolutely. But you need to meet me at 7.30 in the morning. And I was like, he do crack, because I'm not a morning girl. And I remember meeting him at 7.30 in the morning. And in about three weeks time, it's like, it clicked. I got it. I end up tutoring other kids in the calculus. And then I placed out of a full year when I went to undergrad at Northwest. And I remember I went back to Mr. Watko and I said to him, had you not taken the time with me, that would have never happened. But had I not asked, I wouldn't have received either.
2: Mm. And so that's something
1: I've taken with me, especially when I was teaching, that if a student wants, if they show effort, I'm going to meet you there because it can make a difference.
2: Two things immediately came to mind. Not biblical, not whatever, but one, uh, uh, I can show you better than I can tell you.
0: Oh, how many of you all have heard that growing up? Mm-hmm. Okay, everybody, everybody
2: okay? Okay. <laughs> and you don't believe fat meat is greasy. And
0: oh, how ma- <laughs> <in that>. yeah, <laughs> And yeah. what is
2: this fat meat that
0: they're talking <laughs> about? And it's, it's crazy. crazy. And how come it's you crazy. never question what fat
2: meat? <laughs> <It's Yeah>. crazy. <laughs> yeah. <I don't> <laughs> so, That was always, you know, those two things. You, you don't believe fat meat is greasy? Yeah. Don't don't. Are you questioning me? Yeah. Okay. You don't believe fat meat? I told you. I've been here. I. It's just experience, right? It's just you know. I've been here. Whatever. And I'm. Oh, you want to? You want to question? okay
0: now how long did it take you to realize the actual meaning of these so i'm gonna give y'all okay i'm gonna give you we're gonna do like a little uh a round robin quiz let me see if you can finish these statements oh you have to work
2: twice as hard
0: twice as hard all the time
2: yep Mm -hmm. to get half as much (laughs) to get
0: half as much yep (laughs) you better come home before the street street lights lights come home (laughs) (laughs) don't you get caught out there okay don't run in in the house don't run in the street bad circles you've never heard don't run in and out of my house oh that's where you're going okay yeah you're not supposed to do that close (laughs) that screen door what's wrong with you and why not Letting all
1: my good air conditioners. The good air because there
2: is you know inherently all the bills in this good air. Please letting out, out. all the heat out the
0: heat yeah. out. You know,
1: the you
2: good air. The air that
0: costs money. Apparently. <laughs> right. <laughs> have you seen these utilities? I didn't think so. Close How about that. this? Stay out of grown folks' business. Folks business.
2: Yes. And what exactly is grown folks' business? Okay, I am, and I think Angie got to see this recently. I'm Uh-oh. really good at, because I grew up with grandmothers, right? Well, The one that my father's mother in North Carolina and the, uh, my mother's mother here. And they were older and it was children should be seen and not heard. Oh yes. So That's another I'm one. really good at sitting quietly and getting all the good gossip. Getting all whatever because I was a kid and they thought I wasn't listening, they thought whatever because I was quiet, I was sitting there and I was getting all the tea, all the tea. So I knew a whole bunch of stuff. (laughs)
1: Adrian was ear hustling, that's what we refer to. Oh,
0: that's another one ear
2: hustling.
0: hustling.
1: Adrian was Um, ear hustling, but
2: I, I, I never, my face never showed Mm. what was actually going on. So. That's what good hus-
0: ear hustlers can that do. You were really good at that and, yeah, and I would say hustlers. that grown folks business is whatever grown folks say. Okay, if it comes it. out of a grown person's okay. mouth
2: it's grown folks business. It's grown folks mm-hmm.
0: business mm-hmm. and okay so at what point did you really understand what all of these things meant? Like how did you get the message that this meant this?
2: Well, you, I I think you may not have the exact, you know, like, okay, exactly whatever, but you knew that the the amount of fervor that came with it, um, you could tell by the energy in the room, you knew kind of where (laughs) you landed on something because there was a, if you didn't understand the words or the connotation, you did understand the face, you understood, you know, uh, the consequence, you understood those things, even if you didn't totally get, you know, what, you know, fat meat being greasy, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. 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 Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, but you understood kind of the general feeling around what mm-hmm. that meant.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I,
2: and, and how many, and, and, you know, you can
0: speak on it, how many of y'all said this either to your kids or to people, your nieces, nephews? How many of you passed these same messages on to them? My niece is right here. She pointed at me. <laughs> she pointed at Oh, so y'all did. Absolutely. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. I got 23 nieces
1: and nephews and three godchildren. And my godson is Angie's nephew. So he got it coming both ways. For sure. But yes, all of those were said multiple times. Absolutely.
0: Now, how did these messages, how did these help or hinder you in your pursuit? Especially messages like you have to work twice as hard to get half as much.
1: So I would argue that one of the, one of there were many things, but I'm a divorced woman. I would argue one of the things that contributed to my divorce was that I worked hard. That I mm-hmm. felt like as a black woman in a white institution, as an administrator, I could I didn't have room to be sloppy. I didn't have room to be raggedy. And so I worked a lot of hours. That was a point of contention between me and my ex that I was not always home, that I was always working, that I was working later than the average bear. I later found out he would sometimes drive to my work location to be sure I was actually at work when I said I was at work. because He was like, ain't nobody working this much. Like that's how much I work. And a lot of that really, for me was like, you got to work twice as hard you're not going to get ahead. You got to do more than men and more than white people because you are a black woman. So I understood that. And I think that drives a lot of what I do that I'm very much a perfectionist, which is, can be problematic in its own right. I want to make sure it's really good because I don't want anybody looking at it and being like, did you see that raggedy stuff? Officially turned in. Like that is just always who I've been. Even in school, Angie knows this. Anything I did, it's always like, how do I do this? So that when somebody sees it, they'll be like, okay, good to go so i know that particular saying about you got to work harder really stuck with me but getting your education really stuck with me it was like even this doctoral program as many times i wanted to quit i knew i couldn't quit because mama said your education is the one thing people can't take from you Mm -hmm. so if you quit and you don't get it then uh you took it from yourself you can't do that so i know that was a, a huge influence and i would say though the thing about staying out of grown people's business i now know later in life having studied psychology and work with young children or whatever, I, I really do feel like that is a message that was in some ways detrimental because it has often made me reluctant to speak up in situations where I should
2: mm-hmm. because
1: I hear the stay out of grown folks business, kids shouldn't be here. And I don't know that that's necessarily the right message that should be given to children because I think it can create the child who does not speak up when they should. So you mm-hmm. learn to be quiet about things that you should give voice to because you've learned that you should be seen and not heard so that's my overall thinking on this
3: so i'll piggyback on that a little bit because um, working the working twice as hard i would say i when i approach work i accompany that with that whole don't let anyone walk over you too So me being at the agency for 22 years, I was like the top black at our company in our location. I will say, though, if I'm going to work twice as hard, you're going to give me what I deserve because you're not going to walk all over me. Mm So I I would have to speak up for myself. I I've Always, I felt like in my career, I've always, and I think a lot of us do, we always feel like, you know, we're pushing, you know, we're pushing, but you you do the work, you should get the reward. And so that has always been my philosophy to the point where I probably did, you know, I know I have, I've said things and I've gone behind people and said, no, you shouldn't, you know, this person deserves this, you know, because I've been... a a part of those conversations when you are trying to employ someone or you know bring someone else in i i I think i've probably been more vocal than some only because my mama told me don't let nobody walk all over me and that's how that's how i carry some of that and even more not only are you not letting nobody walk over you let me not let them walk over other folks too Exactly. And I'm going to, I, I don't think I could give you as many details just because I know I signed something, but I did take my job to EOC one time.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And part of doing that is because you're going to treat all the minds right. And, and they did. So again, you're not going to walk all over us. Mm.
0: Now, what have we learned as Black women in terms of taking care of, of everyone else?
3: We're just nurturing. Y'all
0: quiet. We're going to let Adrienne go with that. She actually has a degree in
1: this area <laughs> <laughs> um, on many levels, on multiple levels. Our Knox life and uh, the school of...
2: Yeah, yeah. What was it? Black, black women taking care of well, you, you know, we put ourselves last. And it, uh, just a side note, it's, I, I'm listening to these other people who had, good or bad, whatever, some male in their lives. Mm-hmm. There were no men in my house. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just my brother. Because my, my dad died. And then 11 months later, my grandmother's husband, my grandfather died. So in less than two years, all the men were taken out of the house. So when you hit for my grandmother, when she says education, 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 that was, you know, from her standpoint and from what she had to do. But my mother never pushed education. So I was just going, going through and doing the best. I was the best student, I was the best whatever, but my pursuit wasn't as dogged as I think it should have been because it was not, no one had or, and for me, I just did better than they did. Mm -hmm. And I, I was doing better than them. But so, so I, you know, I was a stay at home mom for, ooh, 20 years. Then I got my master's in marriage and family therapy, and, and at that time, really realized how much I wasn't taking care of myself, that I was, you know, there for everybody else, and putting I think uh, I think black women, we put ourselves on the back burner. Mm-hmm. And self-care is uh, essential. And we don't do enough of it and we think it's selfish and it's not. So I don't know. Those are my, I know I kind of was all over the place with that. No,
0: that's, that's really good.
2: Yeah, That's yeah. really, you know,
0: because I, I grew up in a home with, without any, with, with men, like I had 25 first cousins. So, but my mother was a single mom and I knew who my dad was, but because they couldn't get along, I couldn't even talk to my dad. My dad mm-hmm. lived across the street. And I could not even go over there and talk to him because they just could not get along. And so, you know, we have, there's so many, you know, different stories about like whether there were men in the home, men or not men, And, and just the rap that Black women get for being angry or being too independent and all of these things. But it's like, but with messages like this, but you know, one message I've not heard anybody say is balance or how to choose a mate or you Mm, know I know a a strong message that I got yeah I um I
1: failed that (laughs) class so I'm gonna yeah but what was the class the how how to sell a pick a mate yeah as a divorced woman I think you know it was
0: always like I I remember hearing don't worry about boys they'll be there when you get done and then around 30 it's like well when you don't get married to have kids but wait when was that lesson? You know, like we. Why don't we teach? Why don't we teach balance in our homes?
2: And I went to an all-women's high school and all-women's college. You know what? I know, right? She, need her, all wow. she <laughs> need her own interview.
0: She need her
1: own interview.
2: There's a lot there.
0: There's a lot
1: there. <laughs> oh, no
2: wonder I did not choose. Right? I was like, oh, you. <laughs> Are you there's a man in the house <laughs> and that that
0: that's you know one as i've been interviewing and talking to different young women the one thing that i hear is that they are like following some of the same you know they, they some of the conversations and nobody not one has talked said ever that a mom or a sister or anybody auntie cousin talks to them about how to choose a mate why is that something that is so missed in our community
3: i would say this having just gotten divorced after 25 years of marriage you best believe that my daughter is gonna know how to pick Now now she's gonna know she gonna know she, she gonna yeah know. because i've gone through it so i i can i can look it back and i can see a whole lot of things and I mean I'm giving her advice now she in college I'm still telling her I don't know you know uh you you know you gotta walk you gotta walk with them sometimes but I would just say that I think that those times are changing Mm -hmm. I think that you have people who are now at the point where you know my mom was busy raising 10 kids or whatever she probably didn't you know like she, I was 20 when she passed. So that wasn't a, you know, as far as picking a mate to, I wasn't there yet, you know? So, so that's probably why, you know, I didn't have it. And to tell you the truth, I, out of 10 of us, I can count the number of my brothers and sisters that are actually married on Mm -hmm. one hand, you know, but just having gone through it, I, I know that, I, I'm going to and my boys let me say that I won't say just my girl and my boys two boys I'm st- I'm gonna sit them down too and tell them how to choose what you look what you need to look at and things like that so even though the conversations may not have happened in the past I think They're about that to happen they definitely yeah,
2: and I, I think that a lot of times we shy away from the really difficult conversations and that's a really and you know, that conversation can be getting in grown folks business, right? You got to kind of go, go, you gotta, got to kind of go there with them about maybe how things happen with you, you know, how, when you were their age and that, and sometimes we don't always want to tell, you know, everything. Yeah. And yeah. you don't have to tell everything, but, you know, tell things that happen or make them see you in a different light. And, uh, and I know I never had conversations about, anything with my mom or grandmother we i didn't have the uh you're you're on your period and this is how this is i which oh uh it was a it was seen as a curse mm-hmm. because also i was again with two you know the grandmothers and so how they grew up and their menstruation and all that kind of stuff was far different than me. I'm two generations removed. And so it's like, oh, you're not, you're not supposed to do this. This is not whatever. You're whatever. You're not supposed. To. And it was like so out of whack, you know, for what was happening. And so it was never, I remember watching the Cosby show. And yes! Felicia, Felicia, Rashad, and the uh, uh Women's Day, right. Yes. And I thought, oh my, is this the way it's supposed to be? Yes. <laughs> like, is it supposed to be a celebration? Mm-hmm. Because I was shamed in my own home mm-hmm. because of it. And that that there were me or what, but they didn't know any different. They just didn't mm-hmm. know. And so it's like, oh, and now you can get pregnant. Oh Lord, I'm not doing anything to get pregnant. Oh, Now, you know, that was how it was supposed to, you know, that's how it was uh, kind of discussed with me. So. For me, with my sons, we have all kinds of conversation. We we go there, and I'm like, okay, so uh, you know, it's because I don't, I know what it is to not have information. Mm-hmm. I grew up without information
3: mm-hmm. and without
2: knowing and without you know n- anybody saying, but well, this is the way you do it. Oh, you should look out, you know, you should look out. Uh, for this type of guy or you should whatever this, nobody said anything because the end there weren't, my mother was the only child. My father was the only child. I didn't have cousins. I didn't have first cousins. I didn't have whatever. It was just very solitary. So you just got it from the old women.
0: <laughs>
1: and they don't wanna,
2: and they don't aunt, you could have
1: gave Adrian some cousins. So you was just be And could have gave, she she gave you some cousins.
2: She's she being, she still can. Like, she,
0: she said, she said she I
1: still
2: can. Been should have been I think,
1: I think and you even see it as adrian and angie talked that it is pivoting some so i don't have children of my own but i mentioned nieces and nephews and i am very much the same way with them because of what i've lived so i'm able to ask some good questions i remember my godson getting married last year and i was like yeah let's talk about let's have a little conversation and angie and adrian noticed I, I struggled to have the conversation with him just because it was one of those like what's my space how much of his space do i getting in what, what are the boundaries? And at the end of the day, I was like, I have an obligation to at least share for you food for thought, what you do with that said food, that's on you. But at least I can know that I did not keep it from you. Uh, and I remember him saying, I know why, cause I said to him, you need to at least get a prenuptial agreement if you're gonna do this. Cause he does well for himself. And he was like, well, I know why you saying it. And I said, why? He was like, cause you went through a divorce. I said, partially, but also because there are things I wish somebody had said to me. I don't feel like my mother, my mother got married really young, 19, and had me at 20. By the time I was three months old, that marriage was over. And then my stepfather, who my sister and two brothers, those are his kids. And that's who I was raised in the household with. But my stepfather was alcoholic. My grandmother, grandfather, who helped raise us, loved my grandfather's death, but he was an alcoholic. So I didn't have, the women in my life didn't have, like, they didn't have a lot to stand on to be like, let me tell you how we should do this kind of thing. And I do remember when my grandfather died, I was like 17, and I remember at the grave site, they were lowering his body, and my grandmother was like, I'll, I'll never forget as long as I live. She said, Lord, what am I going to do now? I'll never forget that, because she never worked. Daddy had done everything. She'd never written a check. She didn't even know how to pay bills or do anything, and I remember at 17, in that moment, making a decision that I will never let myself be in that space, that I will never allow myself to be so dependent on somebody that if they go away, I'm like, what do I do? So I was 34 when I got married. I found out later from my siblings that they were like, we didn't know if you was ever gonna get married. Cause that's literally the way the family saw me. I didn't see it that way. I dated, I went out, but I literally was kind of like, yeah, I don't need to get wrangled up in no nonsense because I'm not trying to be in nobody's gravesite talking about what am I gonna do? And quite honestly, it took me a while to really reflect on this, who I ended up marrying. We dated for four years. We lived together for like two of those four years. And I remember people saying to me, well, you guys live together. What you gonna do? What you gonna do? And there was a really a part of me that was like, we ain't gonna do nothing. But there became a lot of pressure or or well-meaning people. I was about to be 34. I didn't have kids. I wanted kids. I was raised Pentecostal. You can't just be out having kids all willy-nilly lady. So there was some level that was like, you need to get hitched. I don't know. As I really, really reflect on, I don't know that I would have done it Mm. had it not been for a lot of that stuff. Because quite honestly, there was a part of Shell that was real comfortable flowing in my own lane not having to get caught up with no drama being able to say deuces if I wanted to I mean there's some immaturity to what I just said but that was just real talk.
0: that's maturity though that's all (laughs) Angie did you want to add I know you kind of seem like you have some stuff to add no I mean no I'm good so here's the thing here's and, and I and and I did promise I was gonna keep keep you only for like an hour and so I'll have a few more minutes hopefully and so one of the what one of the questions that that I always well first of all let me just say this my niece I'll be telling her all the business, right? Because that, that idea of grown folks business is what keeps things like sexu- sexual abuse in our homes yeah. and, you know, keep us in bad relationships or make us feel like when our, when a person dies or whatever, that they didn't love us or they didn't care about us because we never have the conversation of, dad, why are you so mean? Or why do you behave like this? Yeah you know say or or why do you let other people so i would be telling my niece all kind of stuff now of course i'll be telling her her mama's business so there's that <laughs> <laughs> all kind of stuff you know because my because she does it and so i do i'm like i don't want you to make the same like make make mistakes life is gonna have that for you anyway but like if i can help you exactly let me give you some stuff so my my question would be what advice would you give to black women who are coming up now or black i guess girls we we also have an issue in terms of determining when you actually become a woman is it 18 or like is it when somebody bestows womanhood upon your life i don't know what that is but yeah i guess the question is at what point i mean no what advice would you give to, to Black women, undergraduate, young women coming up?
2: Well, one thing I would tell them is uh, you graduate from college, if, if at all possible, go straight to graduate school. Don't, like, I waited. And then, you know, you start working, and then you whatever, and then whatever, and then you put it off. If you can, And I didn't understand this whole, I didn't understand because I thought I have all these loans and I need to pay these off before I go to graduate school. And did not understand that, no, no, they'll defer them as long as you didn't know that nobody told me, didn't ask the right questions, were afraid to whatever. So I would say if you can um, go and get your master's degree soon after you graduate, do that. That's one of those things that I would tell them. And I would say, be kind to yourself. Hmm. Yeah, be kind to yourself. Being kind to yourself, again, is not selfish. Take care of yourself. Because if you don't take care of you, nobody else will.
3: Wow. Yeah. I, I guess to piggyback on that, you're right. If you don't take care of yourself, no one else will. And I and I look at it again, I'm I'm talking from my own experiences. I think and I think it was mentioned earlier. You know, we as black women, we we have endured so much. You know, we always feel like we are at the, you know, the end of the the last on the totem pole. Mm. I would say that you have to to leave out of you know, whenever you determine you're getting ready to go into your career or whatever you decide you're gonna do, realize your strength and realize your power as a black woman. I just think we we can't believe the commentary that sometimes are out that's out there about us. When I think when I think back now, even just now to to the current election, right? Who did it? It was black women collectively we have so much power that i don't think we ought, that we necessarily realize other people realize it that's why they always trying to keep us down yep. Yep. but it's going to be when we have to realize it for ourselves that we can then continue to progress and not have to um, worry about the pressures and and the things that you know that they are trying to put on us i guess mm-hmm. is what i would say and then if you're going in, you have, you know, in, in in, regards to your strength and power, know that you can have any position in any company wherever you're going that you desire. You know, don't feel limited. Uh, I, I think sometimes we we go in and and again, we believe in the commentary, we're we're nervous or skeptical about trying to progress. You Be confident in what you have and what you hold as a black woman because the leaders of those companies, guess what? When they get up in the morning, they put on their clothes just like we do. The only thing is just how they're applying themselves. So we just have to apply ourselves, we have to be advocate for ourselves. No one is going to say it or stand up for you if you don't do it for yourself. Mm -hmm. So we, we need to just know that we belong and just just be an advocate. Yeah, I would encourage
1: undergrads to use their undergraduate years to do some exploration and be curious about learning. The, the, these higher ed structures were never created with us in mind. They were not created for women. They were not created for people of color. So the structures are such that in four years you need to take this, this, and this in order to get said degree. It doesn't leave a lot of room for you to explore other things. So whether it be extracurricular activities, whether it be club involvement, sororities, whatever, I think it's so important to look at stuff outside of that little, that path toward XYZ degree. Because at the end of the day, most bachelor's degrees are not going to be the end of the game. As Adrian said, you're going to need something else. Somebody should have told me my bachelor's degree in psychology was just going to be that. And right (laughs) nobody like it wasn't clearly explained to me that I could not be a psychologist with a bachelor's degree in psychology so I have one and it's lovely I do too Um, but I mean you know but nobody really explained it to me uh like you don't get out of school with a bachelor's in psychology and become a thing it's not a thing there so like the idea of being able to really explore and figure out who you are those years go really fast so you need to savor them and I'm big on finding community, whatever that means for you, whether it's a club or whatever, you need a community to do all the things Andy was saying and Adrian was saying. And I think it's so important. I say this to people today and use that time to create your own narrative. So one of the things I do when, when people come, well, before COVID, when new people get hired on my job, i make it my business to go to lunch or take them to coffee. I do that on purpose. One, cause I know it's hard when you're new, you're like, I don't know nobody. And two, I want whatever they know about Dr. Michelle A. Smith to come from Dr. Michelle A. Smith.
2: Absolutely. Because
1: given time, they gonna hear some stuff about me from some other people. I don't want the narrative about me to come from somebody else's lips. I want it to come from me, your experience with me. So when you hear some stuff about me, you can decide for yourself if that aligns with the Michelle A. you know, as opposed to a narrative getting out in front of me. And then when I do a thing that sort of resembles the rumors you've been told then you stamp me as that thing. Mm-hmm. I think that is a place where we miss opportunities because we are afraid to step up and step in spaces. And so narratives get written about us by people who don't even know us. And that. then we spend time trying to create a counter narrative. Mm-hmm. So that's what I would advise young folks to do because you can't get those years back. I'd also say, and this is cause I'm an oldie folk, be mindful of social media. I know when you 19, 20, 22, it don't seem like no big deal. But that stuff will follow you, and you'll end up in your fifties or sixties and can't figure out why everybody thinks you're dancing on a pole still. Just be mindful. Wait, yeah, follow
2: that up.
0: I'm just saying, be mindful. (laughs) No, all right. Well, can I have each one of you finish this statement? If I knew then
3: what I know now, I would, you know for me I, I I take it back to I guess finances. Let's let's go back to what Adrian said earlier in the conversation. She said that she went to the Catholic school well she went to that Catholic college, right? Because the white woman told your grandmother and because they were rich then, you know, she figured she was right. Mhm. We got to set ourselves up, see this. The other conversations we never had, at least I never had, no one told me about the 401k. I would have started that right off the bat, never touched it, never, you know, invested. I would have been investing. I would have been saving for my kids, college, you know, education, tuition long, you know, long from now. The, the, the financing and the investment part, I, I think, is is are the things that sometimes I'm like, man, if I would have just known, you know, back then, that would have been helpful because I would have been sitting a little bit better now. And, and just that whole, because they're well off, they know that, you know, what they say is right. We 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 have to put ourselves in that in those type of positions if that's the thinking. Mm.
2: Mm. Oh.
1: I would have studied history because it's something I always loved, and I never did it because I was like, you can't get a job with a bachelor's in history. Somehow I thought a bachelor's in psychology. But you also. <laughs> you know, don't play. That's fine. I would have studied. I would have studied history. I would have traveled more, and. I would have been, I would have lived spiritually more out loud than I did. Because I, I I that's a recent thing for me, living out loud, understanding who I am in God and whose I am and what that really means, how much He loves me and plants. That's that's a recent out loud thing where I will grab you and pray for you in a minute. I will speak to you, but I was not always that girl. I would have lived out loud spiritually better and I would have taken things less personally more often.
2: Mm-hmm. So, uh, one self-care is not selfish mm-hmm. Two, kind of what Angie was saying. I, somebody told me this a long time ago, always, when you get paid, pay yourself first, give yourself 10% off the top and maybe it's gone up now and then just put it away for yourself. Don't touch it. And, uh, for me, just personally, my whole life, live less in fear. I let fear run my life and I realized that only a few years ago that fear was running my life it ran my mother's life it ran my grandmother's life and so to you know not let fear run my life and to be a little more brave and courageous so
0: that's awesome this is awesome (laughs) Well, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to. You know, have the conversation and, and really talk about it because I, I do think that, especially as black women, you know, until you're deemed a woman, you don't get to sit in the room. Like you, you, you're like Adrian, you still listening to what people <laughs> are saying. Like you like 18, and and they will send you to a whole nother uh, uh space to go to school, but they won't have a conversation with you about things, and it's and or they they'll tell you like this is grown folks business. So there are things that I want to know, like I want to know about finances, Mm -hmm. you know, I want to know, like, do we own this house or are we renting this house? And when I say we, does not mean that I don't own anything you own it and I'm just a renter, you know, and not even that because I'm somebody's broke best friend. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I just thank you for taking the time for like to have a conversation as black women and you know, just kind of talk about some of those messages and and really about how education, you know, I don't think we really realize what education is to us. Right. And how we look at formal education. And and now, because I'll tell you, a lot of people are not there are, are less black teachers in yeah. in in the K-12 through 12 yeah. education system. And so there are less Mrs. Edwards. Yeah. Right. I had black teachers from yeah. from the time I was in fifth
3: grade to I graduated high school. Yeah. I didn't know
0: nobody else did it. And they were
3: yeah. like, we never had one. And see, this is, that's my, that's the whole point. Because even those things that we were learning, our kid, you know, these kids aren't getting it. No. Mm-hmm. It, they're not getting it. No. Well, not,
0: now now not we have to fight. Black
3: they're just not getting it. Well, now you have to fight to have a
1: professional development day with faculty to get them to diversify their curriculum. Like what the what the what?
0: Yeah.
1: But that's like a thing now. You know this people make shoot and make a lot of money running the cultural center.
2: (laughs) 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 We gotta gotta have cultural centers so that
1: we can just get the information to our people, whereas we were blessed in many ways with our teachers K through eight that it was just part of our everyday ethos.
3: Exactly. So
1: yeah.
0: And I and I have conversations with people who have attended HBCUs and who are like we don't need cultural Like the whole campus is a cultural center space. And I'm like, oh, okay. You know, and I, and I come from, I went, I went to Purdue and I had a black cultural center and I, you know, I realized like, you know what, I really needed this here because there's some really racist stuff happening. And also what is racism? Because I'm from an all black city where we didn't have this, you know? And so I think that, you know, our family structures could use some conversations about some yeah. We're so busy working ourselves to the bone, and just so busy that we may quote unquote out ourselves to our family. Yeah. They, they may not think and put us on the pedestal that we miss that they have to live, and that they have to live. They have to outlive us. And I think yeah. one of the things that I appreciate about my grand, my grandmother is that you know she told me stuff, yeah. and she didn't care. And she let me interview her and she told me all her business, all the stuff that was grown folks business. I got it on video. That's why we love granny. That's why we love granny. Granny. That's awesome. Yeah. So I do appreciate your time. And now for my research notes. Before I begin, more information on the resources I use for this segment will be in the show notes. Can I just say I enjoyed this conversation? The conversation reminded me that the black woman experience is not a monolith. I think that's a throwback to maybe the first episode. The women in this conversation had a variety of educational experiences, both formal and informal. One of the themes made it clear that the educational experiences of these women were more nurturing as Angie, an extended caregiver, stated. Both Angie and Michele described educational experiences that affirmed their black identity. Even Adrian, who attended Catholic school, described a unique system that reflected black parents, teachers, nuns, and students. They described teachers who were black, Who lived in their communities. The idea of family was different during that time. The influence of family, their belief in education, and their perspectives about education are different from what we see today. Throughout this series, we have heard the stories of black women undergraduate students. Some of the lessons I have heard in these interviews affirm what I thought Lessons and messaging that black women receive from both formal and informal educational experiences reinforce identity development over one's lifespans. Affirming racial identity for black children happened often in the home, at school, and within the community. The lessons that black girls and women have learned have not changed much over the course of a few generations. These lessons have served some of us well, while for others, it prompted black women to create unrealistic expectations of themselves that are further superimposed on them by society and some ways by their own communities. They have impacted relationships, familial, romantic, and otherwise. From messages of loving who we are to education being something that cannot be taken from you to the attitude that you have not because you ask not to lessons of work hard to the advice to not let anyone walk all over you to I can show you better than I can tell you to you don't believe that fat meat is greasy. Black women have been imbued, endowed, and overwhelmed with rigid and often ostracizing life mantras. In the comments, please share the lessons and what they meant to you. A major thank you to Angie, Adrian, and Michèle for a conversation that brings my work together. I hope you enjoyed this episode and this series. This is the last episode, and I thoroughly enjoyed every minute of all the conversations I've been able to have with these amazing Black women. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Black Woman Voices. Please come back next Friday to check out the next episode, and really remember to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. All the links will be in the show notes. If you enjoy listening to our podcast, please leave us a five-star review and share it with others. Now, let's start a conversation. Take care and talk soon.